Happy Valentine's Day. And this is also a holiday weekend, so double threat. I love it. So good to see you here this morning. We welcome all of our visitors. My name is Crystal. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Northwest. So we welcome you this morning. It's really good to have you here. Today is going to be a little bit different Sunday. I think I say that quite often. But the sermon today is going to be a little bit different because we're going to use a lot of um, information and data. But this is a, a morning that... I want us to gain some insight and understanding into the generations. One of the things that when we started this church over 30 years ago, we had determined and decided that this would be a church that reaches out across the generations. And of course, that's easy as you get started because everyone's the same age, but as we grow older, as we have children, we have to still keep that love for generations alive. And we know that God is a God of generations because he constantly refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we have his backing and we have his blessing. What made me start thinking in this direction was this verse. When the sons of, of, of Israel were going to go and pledge themselves to David to fight, there was a certain tribe of men and it says that these men had the specialty or, um, of, of understanding the times, of knowing what was going on around them and being able to relate it to what God wanted to do through them. And that made me start thinking and pondering about the different generations because never before since recorded history has there been so many generations alive. We think of uh, in the early 1900s, the lifespan was 48 years old. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're 48, but to me, that seems so young. It really does to think that that was the average length of time that people lived was 48. And now, of course, they've increased it to 78. And guess what? That seems young to me also. It just really seems so young. So, but God is giving us longevity. We're learning to take care of our health and things like that. But I want us to look at the purpose behind that longevity. For us as a church, for us as believers, what's the reason we are living longer? What possible outcome could that have? Because we know that inherent in longer life, it brings different situations that we need to deal with. But we know that it's long life is a blessing from God. So how do we leverage that for the kingdom? Because that's always the question I ask myself whenever I'm aware or become aware of, of anything on the earth or, or any insight, how does this relate to bringing God's kingdom here? and ushering in what God wants to do. Now, when I say generations, we understand intellectually that that means, like, my parents are one generation, I represent a generation, and my children represent a generation. But for more like a, a formal definition, it says that generations represent distinct and separate groups of people with a common set of beliefs, common set of experiences, and common values about the way the world works. That's a very technical definition. Now, here we have a lovely family that we all know and love, and this is an example of five generations, which is what our culture represents now. In my own family, we have four generations living, but the Strombecks we see 
represent five generations. And I found out this morning that your mother, Rick, is 101. Is that correct? 101. Anybody else out there? Wow. That is the heritage of the Lord, 101. So as you can see, there's an example here of what I'm talking about, of five generations. God bless her. We need generational understanding to leverage the energy and the passion that we know youth are known for with the wisdom of maturity. Why? To see God's kingdom and God's purpose come about in this church, come about in this city, and in our families. So here's our scriptural text for today. It's from the message. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. Mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences. Now I'll stop right there because that phrase alone is counter to everything our culture today tells us. Today, our culture says, don't notice differences. And obviously, you will see them with your eyes or hear them with your ears, but don't point them out because differences are bad. But the the culture of the kingdom is that we are all created special. We are all created unique, and there will be differences. And so, we are being admonished here and encouraged to notice the differences. It, it's, it's crazy to think that we're not going to notice differences, but those differences do not have to divide us. Those differences don't have to separate us. And indeed, in the kingdom of God, in this new culture that God wants to bring through his sons and through his daughters, he's saying, notice the differences and allow those differences to make my kingdom come quicker. And when you notice the differences, be quick at mending fences. Because differences usually mean that things are rubbing together that produce friction or trouble and problems. Notice them and quickly identify and fix, work through the solution. You are all called to travel on the same road. Doesn't matter what generation we represent, we are called to travel on the same road. The same direction So stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. Amen? All right. How are generations shaped? Now, because of time, because we have 30 minutes to go through 50 years, 60 years, 70, we're going to just hit the high points. There are real factors in history that shaped an entire generation. Now, with these factors, I am not including education, which was a real factor, and I'm not including great revival moves of God and great men that God raised up for such a time as as this. So I'm not including that. I'm strictly talking about events in time that shaped how a whole generation thought, what a whole generation believes, what a whole generation holds as truth. The era, historical events during a generation's childhood years shape our values, shape how we view the world, 
and even our definition of what success is. What success was to someone that lives during the Depression is totally different than what success is to someone that's a millennial. Totally different. And the, the culture that we grew up in helps define how we see the world. It defines what it means to be male and female. No time in history have we noticed that more than now. The culture is trying to help us define what is male and what is female. What you can do with your emotions. Now just think for one quick second what men that went through World War II, when they came home, what they believed they were allowed to do with their emotions. How is that different than what men are taught now to do with their emotions? It's just very, very different. And so for us to have that kind of understanding that these men in the Bible were known for, their entire tribe was known for a deep understanding about how things work, how people behave, what's the thought process behind, what's the spirit behind what you're saying. Yes, I hear what you're saying, but what does that mean? And there was a whole generation of men that understood that, and that's what I want. I want that deep understanding of generations so that I can relate to my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. For what purpose? Just to be a friend? For me, it's the purpose to see God's kingdom planted in them, seated in them, and to watch it come forth. The era you grew up in defines what you think about God, what is said about God, what is said about family, what is that about country? All right, let's begin, and we'll go through these rather quickly. Anyone here born in 1945? I didn't think so. There's like, a, there's like a breaking point. I mean, if you're that elderly, you really don't mind saying your age, but somewhere in between there, it gets muddy. It's like, I don't want people to know I'm 60, or I don't want people to know I'm 65, or whatever, but... <clears throat> I love it, because these people, they don't even care. Yeah, that's, that's me. I don't even care. But <clears throat> this generation was shaped by four distinct things. And we can look at the pictures here, pictures of the Depression, bombing to Pearl Harbor. We first got the telephone. We first got the radio. John Wayne, I love it. But <clears throat> what shaped this generation? Now, this, this was called different things. This generation was called the builders. It was called the silent generation. And the name that we refer to when we talk to, to Mark's mother is the greatest generation. I love that. And the four things that shaped them, of course, the very first one was the Great Depression. And we have no point of reference. We have no point of reference to the Great Depression today. We don't know how it affected impacted entire families when, when they could not find, could not, not would not, could not find work, could not feed their families. And it, it, it sowed in them a generation of, of frugality and saving. And uh, we have not been able to compare to that generation as far as savings for, for the amount of income since then. That was sown into them. Waste not, want not was one of their big sayings. Uh, don't throw it away, you bend it, and you use it again. This was sewn into the fabric of this generation. World War II had a profound effect on the men and women living in this time. And there's a reason why we're gonna take the time to go through 
hitting the high points of the generations because it affects how we think and what we believe. World War II was, I'll say arguably, but I don't know too many people that would dis dispute this, the most popular war that our country has ever been a part of, if, if, if war can be popular. But there was one single mind in our country, and that was to defeat Hitler and, the, and those forces. And everyone was a part of that. And the men that stormed the beaches in Normandy knew they would not be coming back. And our whole nation had an identity that freedom of the individual was more important the sacrifice that they made was more important than living under a totalitarian regime. And the whole fabric of our country was on board with the fact that we will not be enslaved to a dictatorship. And the whole country rallied around that. The men went off to war, the women went to the factories to work, and we were of one mind and one will. And that shaped a generation. And we have no point of reference for that today. But that is how they lived and how they breathed and what they sacrificed for. There was a move from the farm to the city. The women went to the city to work, to make the munitions, to do Rosie the Riveter. We've all seen posters of that. And guess what? They didn't go back to the farm when the boys came home. They had indoor plumbing in the city and they weren't going to go back. And that dramatically affected the fabric of this generation. And the last thing was they had mass marketing and they had great confidence in experts. Now today we, we, we question things, but then they, they, they only heard things on radio and I think it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt that would give the fireside chats and they would all sit around to listen. They had great confidence in their leaders. They had an, an unswerving commitment to sacrifice and saving. They didn't question authority. That's their generation. And we need to understand that so that we can work together with them. So we move on to the baby boomers. That's my generation. And they, it gets its name by virtue of the fact that this was the greatest boom in babies in recorded history. And society was not prepared to handle the onslaught. The hospitals were overrun. The grade schools were overrun. The sports teams were overrun. Colleges were overrun. We had not prepared for the impact that this great boom in babies would have on this entire generation. And it left the baby boomers with this thought, this idea, this knowledge that we have to compete for everything that we get. Because there's gonna be 25 people going after that same sports, more than that. Hundreds of kids going after that same position in sports, going after that same chair in, in, in uh, playing an instrument, going after that same place in college and there wasn't enough room and so this generation, my generation is riddled with the fact I have to compete. If I don't compete, if I'm not willing to put in the long hours, guess what? Somebody else will and they will get the job that I need. And that is sewn into the baby boomers that there are not enough jobs, there are not enough, I have to be the best. There were no trophies for participation. You got a trophy if you were the best. That's how it was. That's the air that we grew up, the, the culture that we breathed. 
Affluence was a part of the baby boomers, unlike the, the generation before. Um, Life magazine said that for the first time in recorded history, people did not have to slave to put food on the table. And affluence began to be part of this society. And the boomers shifted from a self-sacrifice I'm going to sacrifice everything that I have, everything that I believe for the greater good. It became about what's in it for me. Self-expression. Self-exploration. It became, and, and to do that, to have that mentality, it takes money to make it all about us. Uh, TV was introduced, and for the first time, everyone was seeing in our country the same images. I remember, I don't remember exactly what grade I was in, but I was in elementary school. And I remember when John Kennedy was assassinated. Some of you, are, many of you are old enough to remember that. And we all had to put our heads down on our desks. And our teacher had said a prayer. And we all watched on TV that event. We watched the first landing on the moon. And it galvanized, it united a nation around images and some of us, because there were only three stations, uh, we were raised on the corny show Gilligan's Island, and most of us could sing that corny, could sing that corny song because we all saw it. We, on Sunday nights, we watched the wonderful world of Disney. Are any of you old enough to remember the wonderful world of Disney? It was on on Sunday nights, and of course I was raised in a pastor's home, so we were allowed to watch the wonderful world of Disney go across the street as children where our church was and go right to the service after the wonderful world of Disney was over. It was, it was a ritual. We all did it. So the last thing that shaped this generation was the shift from sacrifice to self. The new values were no longer sacrificed for a greater good. The new value is, what's in it for me? How can I best explore happiness inside me? Okay, so, here we go. A lot of you are here. Generation, it's funny because the first service, a lot of them were boomers, and now I said the second service is going to be Generation Xers. I, I, I know, I love it. All right. The boomers didn't have as many children as everybody else, as the generation that came after them, which is the millennials, or the generation that preceded them. So this is the most misunderstood, so all of y'all can pat yourselves on the back, because I knew it, the most misunderstood of generations recorded. It's called a squished generation because they are the smallest generation. Boomers were not having children because they discovered, they thought in themselves, you know what, having children is not the key to happiness. That's what they came up with. Having children is not going to provide happiness. So guess what? They just didn't have that many kids. This is the smallest generation, and they are squished between two massive, enormous generations. So uh, marketing didn't, didn't cater to them as much. They did not have the buying power, the earning power that the other generations had. I love this. Kurt Cobain. I've never even heard a Kurt Cobain song, but Aslan, of course, the zeal of the youth with the strength of the mature. So she's done all, she did all these things for me. So thank you, Aslan. I appreciate that. That's generations working together. All right. So the pixie dust 
that Tinkerbell sprinkled on my generation had dissipated by this generation. And they're thinking, what the crap? This is nothing. It's like anything y'all told us it was going to be like. There's no jobs. We have incredible, enormous personal debt once we got out of college. The housing industry has gone kaput. And this generation is the most disappointed and the most cynical of them. Some might say, well, they had less reason to be than the traditional generation, but it doesn't matter. This is what you know. You can't compare yourself to something that you don't know. You only know how you were raised and what you grew up with. So what made this, this generation so cynical? I think one of the biggest factors, and this is one of the four that I have, being squished between two big generations was one. The second was is divorce. They go, wait a minute, the, the, the millennials have more divorce than, than the Generation Xers do, but there's a huge difference. This is the first generation where divorce happened a lot, and they still believed that something was very wrong with their family because they went through divorce. The millennials come along, and, and society has, has, has propped that up. There's after-school programs. There's daycare programs. There's all kinds of help for children from divorced families or single families. But for Generation X, that had not occurred yet. And all the shows they saw on TV were, you know, Leave It, Leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best. They, there weren't even any shows that talked about divorce. So Generation Xers turned from family to friends. Friends now became the most important thing in this entire generation of people. And if we don't understand that this is how they were raised, we, it's, it's easy to criticize and, and make fun of what we don't understand. Um, well, I'll get that example later. Downward mobility was the last one. As I said, this generation incurred more personal debt than any generation previous. And the last thing that marks this generation is what I'm calling parody, the sarcasm, um, the Simpsons. This generation is so misunderstood. But this generation had children. And those children are called millennials. Don't we just love them? We do. We love y'all. We do. We love y'all. I love it because it gives us an incredible opportunity to see what new thing God wants to do with a new generation if we can just allow them to be who God wants them to be. Now look at this. Hey, girl. All right. This is the most photographed generation of all time. <laughs> Surprise! This generation is when you first started seeing, well, actually it was Generation X where you first started seeing baby on board signs. And this is a wanted generation. For the first time, one-year-old birthday parties are popular. They're photographed, and everybody needs to come to the one-year-old birthday party. Now, for my generation, it's like, what? Come 
on, they're one. They get one friend, and that's a family member, and that's it. And here's a, here's a go play with this dog toy out in the yard, and I'll, and I'll take a picture, and that's it. It's your birthday party. Hooray. Not the millennials. And I'm not being disparaging. I, hey, it's great if you can get it. I wish I could have got it. What shapes the millennials? Now, there's one generation after this, which we're not going to take time on, Generation Z. And guess where they are? They're in children's church. So we don't have any data on them yet, except that they're going to be hyper-connected to the world. That's what we know. So we're going to stop with the millennials. What shapes this generation? The third service is millennials. What shapes them? Heavy parental involvement. And this is so different from Generation X because Generation X is like, your parents are part of the establishment. Screw them. Not the millennials. They're like, hey, let's partner. My parents can help me get ahead. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's unprecedented. That's a wonderful thing. They were a wanted generation. There's a mutual affection and admiration between millennials and their parents. Another thing that is shaping them as we speak is a fear of low self-esteem. It's almost like low self-esteem is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And so the parents are sowing into these kids, you're the best, you're the best. You're the best. Just try. You're the best. Nothing wrong with that. We know life will soon enough tell you that, you know what, there's going to be somebody better, and there's going to be people that are worse. But as a parent, they're sowing. You're the best. So heavy parental involvement and heavy involvement of their self-esteem. McDonald's, thank you, McDonald's, was the first restaurant to put a toy, a prize, for just being who you are, just being a child in the Happy Meals. So we can thank them for that. How many restaurants now have playgrounds in their restaurants? It's no longer enough that you get a good healthy meal. Well, thank you. <laughs> Say that with tongue firmly in my cheek. But it's not enough. Now you have to have a prize for going there. And it's so funny because sometimes you'll see SUVs stopping at one restaurant and you're behind them, and you see them just go right across the street and get food from another because it's, now they have so many choices that one restaurant's not enough. So, but my generation has to not say anything about that. <laughs> the consumer age is what is shaping the millennials. That's not bad. It's not good. It just is what it is. And we can't say to these kids, well, how, how do you think everything should revolve around you? That the sun is actually revolving around your orbit. How can we say that when we are, this is what we are creating for them. Because we don't want them to feel bad about themselves. We don't want them to have a low self-image. We don't want them to. Technology is everywhere. Do you remember, uh, the Gen Xers, do you remember being taught the computer at work or at school? But you certainly didn't have it in your home. That's not true for the millennials. The toys that they have been raised on are computers. And I am going to be interested to see how Generation Z, how interactive those toys become for that generation. They already, if you give them cards to play with, 
like for example the game concentration where you, you where you do flip cards and you and you pick the kids hit the cards like they expect the cards to flip over like on the computer it's like what is this strange thing that's not moving it's not doing anything it's wonderfully bizarre i love it i love it but this is this is how the world is changing and 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 god is saying to us understand where you are in history Understand that I have a work I want to do in these kids, and I have a work I want to do in you, and I want you to work together. I want you to leverage every gift I've placed in you and your generation, and every gift I've placed in every generation after you, and work together to bring about my kingdom. The last thing I'll say about what has shaped, is shaping this generation, is emerging adulthood. It has changed. It has changed over the last 50 years. The, the traditional markers of what makes an adult, there are, I think, five, and maybe I can remember four of them, but it's, of course, moving out. It's, it's, it's paying your own bills. It's finding a spouse. It's having children, developing your career. Those are the traditional markers of adulthood. And what we're finding with this generation is that they are delaying adulthood at least 10 years. I don't, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but we have to acknowledge that that's the case. We have to acknowledge that because of the culture that they live in, adulthood is being put off. They're no longer on the farm where if, if dad died at 40, you had, to, you had to make that work. You had to take care of everything. You inherited that whether you wanted it or not. Those days are gone. And God wants to do a new thing and the generations that are coming, and the generations that are here. So how does this information, how does this insight affect churches, affect us as a church, affect how we want to reach? Because in every generation, there has to be men and women that will go deep into the culture for the cause of Christ, so that we can relate to the kids that are coming up, to the kids that have just left. We have to be able to present the claims of Christ, the love of Christ, the disciplines of the faith. We need to be able to present that to that next generation. And so we have to gather, it's on us to gain that understanding that we need to reach the generations. So, what this means for a church, not just our church, any church, any church that's serious about being a multi-generational church. We know there are some places where the people are comfortable and they, they prefer to just go on about their business till the end of days that way, and, and that's fine. But we are determined to reach generations. Ours, the one that came after, and not neglect the ones that came before as well. It's quite a challenge, and it's exciting. So for boomers, I don't know if you can see this, my generation was drawn to the idea that Jesus called disciples friends. Yes, God has commandments. Yes, God has truth. But I really get excited, this generation said, that to know that he calls us friends, that he is intimately involved in every little thing about me. So we introduced that, which is wonderful, but some boomers, some people my age, they're still drawn. They have to have an experience. And if they don't have an experience, it's not real. 
Gen Xers are more concerned that Christianity makes a difference rather than answering every question. They're not as concerned with theologically, how does this work? What do you think theologically about that? Not to say that they aren't at all, but they're mainly concerned, does this make a difference in the world? Do the claims of Christ make a difference in this world? You answer that question, you have a piece of their heart. The millennials are more concerned with authenticity. They want what they do to have meaning. And I can understand that. Can't you understand that? Nobody wants to think that we're working for 40 years and it's going to just be, as the Bible says in the last days, if it's not done for him, it's just going to be, I can relate to that. They're less trusting than the previous generation. Why could that be? Could it be that the leaders that they see are not trustworthy? Could it be that our presidents in the past, the people that they admire, a priest, a teacher, have we broken that trust with them? I say we have. The boomers, my generation, had an individualistic view that led us to focus on ourselves. What's in it for me? How is this going to make me feel? How, how is this going to make me better? And that leads to, guess what? Church hopping. If I'm not getting what I want from this church, you know, we're in a season of deep discipleship, I'm out. We're in a season of fasting, I'm out. We're in a season of seeing what God, I'm out. You know, it's kind of like the honeymoon. Everybody loves the honeymoon, but at some point, the marriage has to start. At some point, you have to determine, I'm in this. And it's going to be good, it's going to be bumpy, but I'm in it. Gen Xers want a sense of community because their parents grew up in a culture of competition. That's why the show Friends was so wildly popular, because that was their family. That was their family. Millennials, the highest loyalty is to friends. Remember what one generation tolerates, the next generation, they embrace it. They easily cross borders and boundaries and wish, can everybody just get along? So what if they embrace that lifestyle? So what if they have that religion? So what if they, can we just get along? That's the most important thing to this generation is to get along. Not make waves, not judge. Baby boomers is the first generation to believe you can pick and choose what to believe from the Bible. And I repent. That's my generation. To pick and choose. I like this. It's talking about me. It's talking about God's my friend. I don't like this. Pick up my cross. Get out of here. Pick and choose the first generation. So what does that, what does that produce? The Gen Xers, the first generation to be taught that something can be true for you but it's not true for me. That's good for you, Rick, but it's not good for me. That might work for your family, but it's not working here. Maybe that verse in the Bible will be true for you, but it's not true for me. I don't even know if I believe that. The millennials, this generation misses the contradictions in their morality. They determine what is right. They determine what is wrong. As long as nobody gets hurt. We need to have deep understanding of how to talk with that person. If that's their worldview, 
Why wouldn't that be their worldview? From, from K through 12, from our universities, that's what they hear. Why would not that be their worldview? But you can't pretend like it's not. If you want to have, like we said in the beginning, a deep understanding of how to reach people in this century, in this generation. Highest goal for millennials is not to live a life of honor or standards. I think I don't agree with that. We're talking about a generation, not just the youth sitting in this church. Think of how, think of what a stark contrast this point of view is with a traditionalist generation. Now just, just for one second, think about that generation that said self-sacrifice is everything. We live for the next generation. We say for the next, not, it's not about today. It's not about this moment. It's about something greater. And we've come to, if it works for you, good, but don't judge anybody. I love the millennial generation. I believe that the greatest move of God is going to come through them. I do. I believe that. And we have to understand how to reach out to them, how to talk with them, how to make ourselves available to be in their lives so they can have someone that's older that they can trust to pray with them, to counsel them, to guide them, to walk with them, to support them in a different way from their parents. Maybe we have to be the one that says, you know what? It's, it's funny. Um, we all have our stereotypes and, uh, about other generations. And one of the stereotypes that the younger have with the older is that, you know, we've seen commercials where the, the elderly person's picking up the shoe and trying to talk and do it like it's a computer phone, or, you know, we're pushing the, the buttons of the microwave thinking it's a computer. I mean, we've all, come on now, we've all seen those parodies of, of us older people. And right enough, we weren't raised with computers, so we're having to learn it. Just like y'all had to learn to tie your shoes, we're having to learn how to use a computer. And there's no shame in that game, right? And then everyone knows in my generation, we know about the millennial that comes into the boss's office after two months of working going, I want a raise. When's my next promotion? When's my next raise? And you're thinking, you haven't even paid your dues. You haven't been here long enough to, to... We all have the stereotypes. But there is a way, there is a way for the generations to be strengthened by each other and to not let our differences cause us to derail and write off an entire generation because they're different from us. Because we don't see how God is moving in them the way he moved in us. Our best days for the church are ahead of us. I know sometimes it doesn't see that way. And I know the world is, is going to be getting darker and darker, but the church will be shining brighter and brighter. And if the enemy can, can force apart the generations, it will take longer to accomplish what God is saying he wants to do. So how do we do church with multiple generations? Let me just say, we are doing it. Your patience, your love, your honor for one another in this church is evident. It's evident. I rejoice. I thank God every day for that. We had a, a question at the lovely 
wildly successful, lovely. There were over 300 girls on that Saturday a couple weeks ago. And one of the questions over lunch with the organizations that, that were there, one of the questions was, how do you know what topics to discuss? How do you know what things to talk about from the stage and the sessions? And of course, we have a, a, a regular answer. You know, boots on the ground and the girls are in there mentoring. But I think more than that is there is a deep understanding among the leaders in Lovely, among the mentors, among the girls that go into those public schools. There is a deep understanding of what God wants to do, of how girls are created, and what hungers and what pains they have. And, and yes, you can get some of that from a statistic. You can, you can get some of that from saying, well, we know that so many percentage of the population of girls will, will, will see this happen to them. We know that. This is beyond a statistic. This is reaching deep into a heart and extracting what God wants this generation to know about his love, about his character, about his desire to see all men come to him. And that's happening at a young age. These mentors are young. But that doesn't stop God from giving them an understanding of the hearts of girls. And that's thanks to you guys. So thank you. Thank you. Through serving opportunities, through mentoring. And this doesn't have to be something artificial. The Strongback Seniors wave your hands. They have gone, any group that will have them, they have done the circuit at their age. How old are y'all? What decade? 81. She's not 80 yet. She's still the young spring chicken he got to marry him. He tricked her into marrying him, a younger woman. They, they go around to cell groups and they minister. And by that I mean they listen. And God will give them a word to pray for those men and those women. That's a fresh word. It's not, well, this is, this, this is what I'm supposed to be teaching tonight. No, they listen to what God says. That's the understanding that that verse is talking about. Just to, to see the times, to not matter. Well, this is a millennial I'm ministering to. Wait a minute. I, I don't know what to say to someone who's 20. God's spirit knows exactly what to say. Just that heart that he created. And if we'll listen, and if we'll believe... So we create opportunities for the older to mentor the younger and the younger to work alongside the older. The encounters that you see, those are not put on by one segment of this church. They're put on by all of you, the older and younger working together. And it is a beautiful thing. If you'll stand up with me, we're going to close. Like I said, this is a very different sermon today. In every generation, we need people like I said, that will go deep into the culture and rescue those people that God has assigned for salvation. God said, whosoever will. And we believe that those people that will go deep into the culture are every age. That age is not a limiting factor with God. Our heart is a limiting factor. Our willingness is a limiting factor. But our age is not a limiting factor. So if you'd repeat after me, please. I promise I will chill out and let another generation do their thing. If it's not immoral 
or blasphemous or really, really disgusting. So help me God. Here's a, an example of, of the millennials that I just struggle with because of, because of the culture I was raised in. And that's the, what's the fighting called, WM? UFC? Okay, ultimate fighting, whatever. Okay, I will chill out and let another generation, it's not, it's, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you shall not beat each other to a pulp, although we could probably, that's a generational thing, it really is. You won't find traditionalists going around sitting and watching or baby boomers. So that's a perfect example, and especially when the women fight, oh, you just have, I have to actually leave the room, because it's just like creepy to me, and, and so, I will chill out. <laughs> And let another generation do their thing. If it's not immoral. And I'm trying to find a scripture that says it's immoral. And then I have a platform. But if I can't. Or blasphemous. And of course that. We know what that means. It's, it's, it's not honoring to God. Speaking against God in a way. That God will. Hmm. Or really, really disgusting. I'm going to chill out. I'm going to let God move how he wants to move. Uniting generations for the purpose of his kingdom coming. The young ones can't do it alone. There's too many pitfalls. There's too many traps set for them. They need the wisdom that comes from people that have got scars. Like, don't, don't go there. See the scar? That's because I went down that same path. See this addiction I battle every day? That's because I went down that path. Don't go there. They need us. And the elderly, the older, the boomers, we need their passion. We need their zeal. Come on, we can do it. We can do this. We can take this city. We can get this auditorium. We can buy this building. We can. I'm just tired. I just want to take a break. We can do it. Come on. We need each other. We need each other. God is a God that says, my purpose will stand. And I want to use the young and the old and everybody in between. So let's repeat again. I promise I will chill out. Let another generation do their thing. If it's not immoral or blasphemous or really, really disgusting, so help me God. Amen? Happy Valentine's Day. We love you.